Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to season five of the Dish with Dina podcast. I am so grateful and happy to have you return and join us again. I've had this episode on the back burner for far too long, as I meant to publish it way back in 2021, shortly after we originally recorded it, but I had some audio and editing issues and it took me longer than expected to finally get this out to you, our dear audience. So my apologies to you and to my guests, Lisa and Sarah Listen, the mother and daughter duo and creators of the Food Memory Project, for the amount of time it's taken me to finally make our conversation available. So finally, sit back, enjoy the conversation. And let's dish. Welcome, Sarah and Lisa. Listen from the Food Memory Project. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day and joining me here on the Dish with Dina podcast. How are you guys? Oh, we're doing good. Thank you so much. Yay. Good, good. I always start with an origin story. And I was just talking to Sarah that um, we we don't know each other. You, you know, you and I have never met in person. You are my internet friends right now, but we do have a common person. We have somebody mutual who we both love. We all love dearly. Sarah, do you want to share with everyone who that is? Because she has been also on my podcast as well. Yes. So our mutual connection way that found us, Dina, is through our friend, Anne Elizabeth, who's a fellow dietitian and fellow, one of my Instagram friends. I love her. So Anne Elizabeth, if you're listening, uh, thank you for being our first contributor to the Memory Project and also for sending Dina our way. Yeah, I'm so excited. Oh my gosh. I uh, Listen, we could just make this a whole big um, Anne Elizabeth Stan podcast account mm-hmm. and just constantly fangirl over her. She's so wonderful. Uh, but I want to talk to you, both of you, because I was very interested in seeing the Instagram profile that you created. And that's kind of what drew my attention because we share some commonalities. So the way that I, you know, speak with my guests on this podcast is to get some of your backstory because we don't normally know a lot of the behind the scenes, earliest childhood memories, food dynamics, but with both of you, the fun thing is, is that you're mother and daughter. So I'm excited to hear how you tell your side of things when I'm when I'm asking you about behind the scenes. Um, so Lisa, can we start with you? Sure. Will you tell us if you want to, whether it's your own experience in your own earliest memories or your own experience in bringing up Sarah and you know your family. So however you want to start, tell us a little bit about your cultural background, if there were any influences back then, and what maybe some of your earliest food memories were, whether they're in the kitchen or um, you know celebrations, anything like that that comes to mind. I'm sure. So I grew up in very typical, um, I grew up in North Carolina, very typical Southern type of food that you would typically serve. And I think of my earliest memories typically have are around the family table such as Thanksgiving in the big meals with the extended family. And so one memory that we all still talk about in the family, it's always about the cornbread (laughs) that my my grandmother used to make for Thanksgiving and really any time the family went. And it was always, you know, no recipe, you know, using the the cast iron skillet, lard, you know, the whole bit. (laughs) And so we always remember that. And I know that's a, a, a memory for Sarah. I think, a lot of where I started to get excited about food really is I love to bake. And I think today is like the anniversary of the Easy Bake Oven as we're recording this. And I started cooking with my Easy Bake Oven. I remember making brownies in my Easy Bake Oven. And so food was really just always kind of a part of what we did. Um, 
you know, we, we ate meals as a family. I did that with my children. And that was one of the things that Sarah did early as a kid. She'd pull a chair up and start cooking with me. We ate dinner pretty much every night as a family. We rarely ate out. And then the other thing I think that mom can testify to this too. I was always a very adventurous eater. I wanted what was on the grown-ups plates. Um, my parents can tell stories about me being at the grocery store and they would turn around in the checkout line and all of a sudden I'd ripped open a package of mushrooms or broccoli. I was just chowing down. Um, or they'd take me to the Chinese buffet and the waitresses were just amazed that I wasn't eating like mac and cheese and the pizza that they would get out for the kids. I was eating whatever my parents had on their plates. Um, and that's something that's still pretty true to the day. I'll try just about anything once. <laughs> I love that. So your palate was a little bit elevated than children, you know, in your, your age range in that time, which um, in that case too, I, you know, a lot of people maybe don't have experiences even with venturing out, not just to outside restaurants and eateries, but also Chinese food places or different kinds of cultures. So tell us a little bit more about that, if you don't mind, Sarah, like as far as venturing out and also being part of the, the kitchen working too. Tell me a little bit about, you know, what you learned, if you remember anything specific that happened as far as smells and tastes and textures and maybe what you were experimenting on back then. I guess kind of the common thing that I remember from cooking with my parents in the kitchen and with my grandparents when I would go to their house is just always being encouraged to try new skills and to taste everything. Of course, you know, if we were baking cookies, I was eating just as much dough as we were the actual cookies. Or if we were making pizza, <laughs> I was tasting the sauce, eating the cheese, eating the pepperoni, things like that. And then as for trying things from different cultures, you know, when we did eat out, we would go and try. I know Chinese was a favorite. Um, Mexican was always kind of a go-to in our house, or even if we were cooking at home, uh, we did a lot of Tex-Mex if we needed something quick. And then, you know, going to international festivals, going to Indian restaurants and stuff like that. You know, I'm I'm not a picky eater, kind of like I alluded to, and I liked most of the stuff that I tried. And my parents encouraged me to run with that. So we were always, you know, they encouraged curiosity and you know, learning about the world. We had multiple board games in the house that had to do with geography. So I've always been curious about other cultures. And obviously as a dietitian, food is my favorite way to learn. Okay, let's venture into that now because since I do have two people on here, I want to make sure we're taking turns <laughs> between the both of you. And so Sarah, you and I, what we have in common is that we are both registered dietitian nutritionists, but your mom, Lisa, you are a genealogy researcher. And I'm sure we'll figure out how this all came together with your current project together. But will you tell us a little bit about if any of your background or food dynamics or anything like that, whether positive or negative, did that influence you in pursuing? And, you know, for anybody who doesn't know, would you share with us what that's what that is the study in? Oh, well, with genealogy. So I've, I started genealogy probably I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago. Um, and have been that's what I do full time. I'm actually my background is I do have a medical background. I am a physical therapist as well, but I haven't done that in a while now. But so I, I've always been intrigued by foods and how they can be used for healing. But then when I got into genealogy, what I started to realize is that the the history of our foods and the foods that are in our family really tell a lot about who we are as people. And so when Sarah um, and I started chatting about, you know, she's got her love of food and she's, a, I will tell you, hands down, she is a much more adventurous eater than I have ever been. Um, and so I, I was always amazed that I had this child who would eat anything <laughs> and try anything when I was not like that as a child, um, but her dad is. So 
I was always amazed by that. But to be able to, to try the different cultures and be able to blend that and recognizing what food and culture start to mean to to families and to communities. It was an interesting combination when we started looking at what we were doing is that as a genealogist, it's not that different some days as compared to what her interest in food is as well. And Sarah, did that, I mean, I know for me, when I was in my academic pursuits here, becoming a dietitian, I only started about six or seven years ago. So I remember hearing about genetics being part of like the nutrigenomics discussion. This was like a new research thing that we were thinking, you know, keep an eye out for this because eventually we might start seeing more personalized, individualized meal plans and or ways that we're intervening with treatments of certain chronic conditions. And so um, what Lisa was just saying, as far as the genetic and the history and all that stuff coming in, but on the more cultural level and family level, um, did you see any of that kind of crossing over or understanding a little bit about what your mom was doing when you started pursuing your path in the dietetics world? I think it probably happened a little bit later. You know, I went into dietetics kind of thinking that clinical was the only path. Uh, but then as I got into it more, um, you know, I took the cultural foods course that every nutri uh, nutrition major takes during their uh, uh, didactic program. Um, mm -hmm. But then it was really probably around sophomore, junior year of college after that course that I started getting really interested in food history and food culture um, and doing more reading. And I mean, I've always had, we kind of joke about it in our family that I've always had this uncanny memory to, you know, important events in my life. You know, the day I moved into college, first meals in new apartments. Like I remember I marked my life based on what I was eating. Um, so really over the past probably four or five years, I've started thinking more about how the foods that I've eaten and what I grew up eating tells my story and how that's true of others as well. You know, a lot of times as dietitians, when we're asking people to recall what they ate within a given period of time, it's because we're interested in identifying dietary patterns so we can make recommendations and help them reach, you know, physical goals. But I'm more interested in when I'm asking you to tell me what you ate, how were you feeling when you ate it? Who made it? Who did you share it with? What was the occasion? Um, kind of all of those more, I guess, kind of touchy-feely things rather than the clinical. As you were speaking, I was thinking the same thing in the sense that there's so much crossover between what your mom and you are doing in the sense of in the dietetics world, you're getting that literal food history, like what did you eat yesterday, 24 hours, last three days, seven days. But we're also wondering why you make those choices. What's the behavioral component? And um, as I tend to tell my patients, my clients, my students, my interns, it's never about the food. It's about the behaviors behind that. Like what causes you to be a picky eater or be more adventurous? And let's get really involved in that because then depending on what we are trying to manage or help you treat or help you improve or identify, uh, it does stem back as far as that. It's not just about, oh, you know, add more leafy greens to your plate. It's about what is it in your history that guides you in that direction of making those choices or staying away for certain things? Because, again, that is also the experience that everybody else brings 
literally to the table and figuratively as well. So it's not just the history of the what, it's the history of the why, which I love. So let's talk a little bit about venturing into this current project. So Lisa, do you want to share with our listeners the history of how this came about of the Food Memory Project? Sure. Actually, I think Sarah is probably the one who who came up with this idea of the Food Memory Project, where being able to have friends and family and then the world basically tell their story through through their food, through what they ate, through special food memories and what that does. We do know, as I have been digging into it from a genealogy researcher side of the, of the thing, when we seek out oral histories, so when I would look for oral histories to be able to you know, start to build a family history on somebody from, a, from that family historian's point of view, oftentimes it triggered a lot of memories. And there've actually been studies that were done on that called reminiscence therapy. I think I said that right. Um, <laughs> basically, we're memories, whether it's talking about memories using photographs, maybe it's memories of a meal, maybe it's having that traditional family dish, that that has actually helped elderly folk that when they eat something that was from their childhood, from their family history, that it triggers memories and it triggers feelings of calmness. And it's very helpful for those who might be suffering from being isolated, particularly in this time of the pandemic, folks who might be struggling with dementia, that when they were able to remember the foods of their childhood, when they were able to taste those foods, or even just looking at pictures of like family reunions, that that was a way of feeling closeness, feeling connection. And that's one of the things as a genealogy researcher, I'm more than just finding those names and those dates. I want the stories because I want the connections. I want people to connect to their ancestors in a very multi-sensory way. Yeah. And so Sarah, tell us about your take on this as well. So, you know, how did you kind of come in and the path that you took as far as working with your mom and coming up with this idea? Yeah. So I've always loved history. It's always been something I'm interested in. I love storytelling. I love writing, had dabbled in blogging before. And I actually got the idea for this particular blog. It was back at the beginning of the summer of this year and a couple things were going on. So there was a lot of, you know, we were a few months into the pandemic. There were a lot of social things happening, a lot of unrest, people feeling very isolated, very divided. And then one afternoon I got home from work and mom had sent me a link to a virtual food history conference that one of her friends was presenting at and she knew that I would enjoy that. So as I'm getting ready for this conference, listening to sessions and also reflecting on the events that were happening, I thought, you know, if we could work together, I was sitting on my balcony one day, just kind of formulating ideas. And all of a sudden this hit me, um, the idea to collect people's food memories, because surely there were other people out there like me who measure their life in what they ate. And that's how they remember important events. So I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could find those other people and bring them together in, we kind of call it a virtual potluck and have them share those memories and find common ground with each other and bring a little unity because food's what I know. That's how I bring people together. There's 
and when we can't physically be together and share a meal, this is the next best thing. That's fascinating. And you're collecting, I mean, this is fantastic because it's almost like a, a treasure chest of all the things that come up. And so that's what I wanted to ask you too. Um, how soon, or I should say, how long ago, when did you first start kind of opening up this project to other people? Because I know on your website, you do have, and I will be linking to this, by the way, in the episode as well, that people can submit to you. So do you have, have you already collected, you know, how many stories or um, are you, you know, putting together anything? Do you see some common themes running through or is a very mixed group of people like so far have gotten in touch with you or how are you outreaching in, in that way as well? So kind of like the way you found us, a lot of the stories that we've shared so far, I was basically pounding the virtual pavement, so to speak, uh, reaching out to friends and family who I knew would have stories or even just scrolling through Instagram, following hashtags. If I saw someone who posted something that was in line with what we were doing, I would reach out to them and say, hey, here's what I'm up to. I'd love to have you featured on the blog. Um, and we've gotten some hits from that as well. Um, and then also creating some additional content in, in addition to the stories that other people are sharing. You know, we try not to put ourselves too much at the forefront uh, because that's not what we want this to be. For example, October was National Cookbook Month. And of course, cookbooks are full of, so sharing some resources about here are some of our favorite cookbooks and culinary bookstores and why cookbooks are so great. We've got some content coming up about TV shows and movies that celebrate food memories. Um, and especially, you know, at the time that we're recording this, we're heading into the holiday season. It's right after Halloween. And this is a prime time of the year for food memories. So we've got some exciting things planned for that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, good and bad in the sense of our people, because, you know, I can't say this enough every single flipping episode. We're in a pandemic, we know. And this is like going to be so challenging because looking back at this time, this is when either people are going to try to do their darndest to try to get together and make this something memorable because we've been so isolated and separated from our loved ones for so long. And or those of us who are a little bit maybe apprehensive or far away from each other, you know, how are we spinning this quote unquote new normal into a virtual memory for all of us to be able to take a, uh, a part of? So are we sending out recipes and doing a virtual potluck? Like, you know, are you eating just the cornbread at that <laughs> point or someone else, someone else is eating the turkey? Um, or all you, you know, sitting around and doing a uh, sharing in that recipe making and then comparing notes um, over Zoom or whatever platform. And I love the whole thing about this cookbook thing. I mean, I, I think I've shared this on some of my previous episodes where I culled together all of these scraps of paper that my mom had in a kitchen drawer, or maybe they were like paper clipped together. And I just, they were ridiculous. I mean, crumpled, written in pencil. I could barely see through them because they were full of just grease spots. And yet that's what she would pull out. And so I thought I was doing such a great thing one year where I pulled all of her, you know, handwritten recipe scraps and I made an actual binder for her where I typed and transcribed everything into uh, a little, you know, homemade cookbook thing. And it was great, but it was one of those things that I, I understood when I handed it to her, she was like, Oh, thank you so much for putting this into like a legible form. But there was something about holding those torn up pieces of paper, those index cards, you know, seeing my grandmother's writing on something. It was just, it, it, it we lacked that from having then put it into the more high tech uh, version of that. Um, do you hear anything about that too? Or can you, do you have memories of that too, of like pulling out scraps of paper and how you originally started with working with recipes in your own world as well? One of the first cookbooks that I remember owning that was actually mine, um, it was Rachel Ray's 30 Minute Meals for Kids. I got it for Christmas when I was mm -hmm. eight. I loved it. I grew up on Rachel Ray. 
Um, and I remember going through on Christmas morning and putting all these sticky notes in the book of all the recipes I wanted to try. I still have that book. The sticky notes are still in there. And I actually pulled it out the other night because I thought, you know, National Cookbook Month is ending. This is one of my favorite cookbooks that I've talked about. Let's see if these recipes still hold up. And I made one of the recipes and it's just as good as I remember. And of course, I remember mm. having that cookbook and flipping through it and making the other recipes and, you know, all the Rachel Ray, you know, kind of has her own language and that's very yeah. consistent in the cookbook. So just all those memories of things like, you know, the garbage bowl and Evu and Right. and stuff like that it was a lot of fun yeah that's the first thing I thought of was the GB the garbage bowl mm -hmm. which is too funny and that's a that's a culinary thing too I mean you know mise en place and putting things out and making sure you have everything kind of at the counter but so many of us back in the day we didn't do that we were just grabbing random things out of the cabinet and setting up giant bags of flour and just you know do picking and choosing everything as the recipe progresses not realizing oh we should probably put this out in small pre-measured cups and make things a little bit easier on ourselves to make sure we have everything we need um at the ready as as it would be um lisa do you have anything to share too about like what some of your goals or pursuits might be as where this project is going to go what do you see it happening and then i have a follow-up question which you know i want to kind of talk a little bit about your December project sure, as well. Sure. So I think what, what our vision is to continue to have to reach out to people and hopefully have people find us to be able to give us their stories as well on their their food memories. And we are happy to work with people. Not everybody wants to write it up themselves. And that's perfectly fine. I'll actually, you know, we can actually interview somebody if they, you know, are not somebody who particularly wants to write the story. That's okay. We'll write the story. Um, some mm -hmm. interviews as well, but I'd love to take it on the road um, and go and meet people and interview people and talk with them about their, their foods and their heritage and um, what those food memories mean to them and what, you know, how they, how they find, how they connect their family and how they connect to generations past through those foods. Um, I think to, to kind of go back to what Sarah was talking about, the, the old, her cookbook and you had mentioned your mother's looking through the, the, the scraps of paper. And I, I absolutely <laughs> identify with that, that I have to verbalize, but there is that connection to know that you're using that same recipe that they used or, okay, that recipe called for almond extract, but you know, my grandmother wrote in here that she always used vanilla. So I'm going to use vanilla too. Right. The modifications. Mm -hmm. I, I joked, I think, I think if I remember correctly, this was on one of the episodes where I joked about how one of the recipe ingredients was um, add enough water to make wet. And I was like, that's, that's the, and Sarah, and Sarah, as you know, in the dietetics field, that's not a standardized recipe at all. Like that's not going to fly. If I, nope. I'm like how what's that's very vague of how we describe that um but I Lisa I love the idea of when hopefully all this is lifted and we can go out about and you know venture into the 3D world again that you take this on the road and you are you going into people's kitchens are they preparing a traditional recipe for you and giving you backstories like that is that what you kind of picture it happening? would be wonderful and to be honest I, I don't think we've even gotten our, our thought processes that detailed at this point but um Yes, I'd say yes to all of it. <laughs> so I want to um, shift for a second just to see as far as the actual, what it entails to do what you're doing in whatever aspect it is, you know, whether it's the dietetics pursuit, the genealogy pursuit, or combining it together with the food memory project. Um, are there certain things that you tend to be involved in, like conferences or blogging or, um, you know, communication forums that you can pick up information, best practices, you know, any like resources that you tend 
someone to use or utilize or be involved in for anyone else who you know might be interested in pursuing something like this or getting something kickstarted, what might be the first things that you would recommend or what things helped you in moving forward in this direction? Pretty much what I've always done both with my personal social media, which I've also, I also have a dietetics blog. Um, I've always kind of treated my personal Instagram like a micro blog. Um, and then with this blog as well, I follow people who are doing what I want to do and doing it well. Um, so in the case of the Food Memory Project, that's following food historians. I'm following culinary bookstores because who knows food stories better than a bookstore, right? right. Um, following people who have cool baking projects going on, like people who are baking out of church cookbooks or family cookbooks or trying to recreate family recipes. And then also some larger organizations as well, like the Southern Foodways Alliance. You know, we're both from the South. That is our culinary heritage, our kind of, and they do a really good job of bringing together kind of the greatest minds in Southern food who are both innovating while also preserving tradition. So they have a lot of stories there as well. Really, whatever field you're in, look for those role models, mm -hmm. um, whether that's on Instagram or if you go to conferences and reach out to them and try and emulate what they're doing. Uh, speaking of conferences, that culinary history conference that I was attending when I got the idea for the Food Memory Project, they are called Pass to Apron. Uh, that was their first conference back in June of this year. And we're actually really excited because we were accepted to present at their holiday edition ah. coming up in December. So it's a really cool full circle. That is amazing. Congratulations. See, that's the thing, Thank right? You. Like you reach out, you make friends, you connect with people. There are opportunities that take place you say yes to as much as you possibly can especially like you said if you want to get your name out there and and obviously the only way that you're going to have people recognize who you are is to make sure that you're promoting and marketing yourself in that way so congratulations on that um lisa did you have anything to add about that too as far as resources and then um and then like i said i'm going to have my follow-up question coming sure soon. sure so a lot of the resources i've been blogging for a number of years over at um are you my cousin so that's my genealogy blog and um i have a youtube channel as well so i've actually talked at times about vintage cookbooks and about culinary heritage it was something I was always interested in. So when Sarah and I started this together, it was more of a like, oh, wow, my audience really has responded well to it. And so I've been um, using a lot of the blogging skills, a lot of what I've learned to do all the tech stuff. I'm kind of the tech person when it comes to our website currently. And so I do a lot of, I've, I've taken a lot of the blogging processes and technology and put it and done the website to keep us moving forward in that respect. That is so wonderful. I just, I, by the way, as you're speaking, I'm uh, fact checking, looking things up online. So I just followed oh. you on Instagram on oh, all well, my cousin because that is so, that is so, <laughs> so cool tying that in. So let us jump ahead because of the timing of this episode, um, as you mentioned, it's right after Halloween. So we are in November right now, but you both have something in the works for December. Do you want to, Sarah, do you want to speak on that? Or Lisa, do you want to speak on that? Go for it, Sarah. Sure. So our big project rollout for December is that we are launching our own podcast. Um, as my mom mentioned earlier, some of what we've, some of the response we've gotten or that we've gathered that people are really interested in our project, but they may not want to write up their food memory or they may be, you know, they don't feel that they're like, I'm not a writer. I don't want to submit. Uh, but they still have all these stories and we want to get them. We'd always kind of hoped to launch a podcast in the future anyway. But then we kind of realized, you know, maybe this is what we need to grow now and take off a little bit faster. So we're really excited. Um, yeah. We've got some really cool stuff lined up. Like my mom said earlier, we are hoping to take this on the road and go talk to people. 
interview people, um, whether that's people inviting us into their kitchens or us inviting ourselves into their kitchens. Um, like, uh, for example, here in Texas, one of the big kind of cultural foods that's everywhere is kolaches, um, big uh, European influence. So, you know, we kind of have this idea of going on these road trips, whether it's kolaches or um, barbecue in North Carolina or in Texas for that matter. Um, and going and talking to the people who have been doing this for years, um, and especially family-run businesses and restaurants. Absolutely. Oh, yes, absolutely. Especially when you're having generations upon generations keeping. And especially now with this time, too, to have be uh, able to stay in business and, you know, pursue and persevere through all of this stuff that's happening right now. Um, I know in our little neighborhood of the East Village in Manhattan, there are places that unfortunately have been around for 30, 40 something years and have had to shutter because of what's happening. But in that place are other opportunities that now maybe they get to tell a story in, you know, 25 to 30 years in their time of saying, I took this and, and I was able to start a new business during a pandemic. So what a wonderful tale to tell in that respect. Um, Lisa, will you tell us a little bit about what a day, a current day in life of you is since you talked about your physical therapy background, since you um, are interested in a variety of different things and also like cooking and have the, you know, the food memory project that you're working on. Um, but do you do things for your own health and wellness to try to keep in check and keep, you know, sane, or is it just constantly like project after project and idea after idea? Oh, wonderful. Well, I do a lot of projects. Um, but I actually, I'm a runner, so I do run probably five or six days a week each day. And so I do try to make sure I'm taking care of my myself and enjoying pursuing other interests. So, um, and recently have started doing more hiking. Um, we have some wonderful trails and things to hike around here in our area. Mm. So I do try to make sure I'm getting outside and, and, and moving, quite frankly, because I always tell my genealogy researchers, my readers, I'm like, get away from the computer, you've got to move. And it's going to be the best thing you ever do for your genealogy research, not to mention your health. And Sarah, what about you? Anything that you kind of have what I call like the non-negotiables throughout your day? Do you follow any particular practices or routines? Yeah. So one thing, actually, this is something I got from Anne Elizabeth that I restarted a couple months ago. Um, it's been a really crazy past few months. You know, like a lot of people, work has been very different over the last few months. Um, a lot of change, a lot of transition. Um, and I was just feeling kind of really beaten down and tired. So I brought back mm. my joy jar, um, which, again, is something I got from Anne Elizabeth. Anne Elizabeth, I love you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and at the end of every day, I have a pad of sticky notes. And I write down one thing that brought me joy that day. And I stick it in the jar. I actually, I started one during my dietetic internship last year and then kind of got off track with it, but then decided to bring it back. So, and I mean, you can just be little things. Like, I think last night, my joy was that I put myself to bed earlier <laughs> and got a little bit more sleep. Or it might be, you know, I spent an hour talking to a friend on Zoom or the weather was nice and I got to take a walk. Just little things like that. You know, exercise, I'm, I've never been the best about it. <laughs> um, but I do I do try and get out and walk in my neighborhood when the weather is nice. And I'm hoping, I had an injury, if I'm hoping to be able to get back into some yoga soon. I'm so happy to hear you saying that thing about the joy jar. And I assume that's, you know, something along the lines of daily gratitude and just trying to focus on positivity because we have been somewhat downtrodden, if not a lot downtrodden. And often is the time that, you know, as you kind of uh, set yourself in place of just 
constantly being in that those depressive states that it doesn't really do much help in getting you out of that or sometimes you can sink further and further down so even if it feels like a chore and I'm sharing this too with a lot of the listeners as well in the sense of even if it feels like a chore or that you know you're rolling your eyes as you say all these positive things there is there is some research behind that that like your brain will kind of connect and and you'll find that uh, positivity helps you kind of get through that day. And so that not all is lost or feels lost in that way. And to find the joy in, in every little you know, moment of time, or at least find a moment of time that you can be joyful over or be grateful over. I think that's such a wonderful practice to, um, to, to continue doing and incorporating into your day. So thank you for sharing that, Sarah. That was lovely. I just wanted to check with you, Lisa, first, is there anything that maybe I forgot to ask about or anything that you feel was important to kind of convey to the listeners, because I always tell my guests, you know, there are people out there who things are resonating to. So not necessarily me, but you yourself, are there any messages that you wanted to convey to anybody out there that we might not have touched upon yet? I think I would say to seek out your family's oral histories and everything that entails. It's the foods they ate. It's the the funny stories that are in a family. And it doesn't matter if they're true or not, because oftentimes oral history is, is not always accurate, but it's got a tad of truth to it. When the people who knew those stories in your family are no longer with us, then mm. those stories are no longer with us. And it is such a shame to lose stories and lose the connection. And I think if that's so that I'm always telling people, seek out those stories now while you still can. Make sure you're you're recording them and however you want. Yeah, that's so great. And right, especially now too, where we have the, at our hands, we have so much technology that we don't necessarily need to be sitting there and tracking everything down by hand. We can just plug it into a phone and have a little folder appear and that would be where we collect, collect all that stuff because you're right. Uh, I know for us, we had a while ago, somebody put together a whole family tree book for us, but I didn't know a lot of those people that were in the family tree because it went beyond you know my generation and, and my dad um, who the lineage was coming down from that's the line that they pursued was the D'Alessandro family tree and I only got to hear a little bit of his side of the story but then he was also uprooted and he had to move around in different places before he landed in America so there's stuff that I don't know at all about you know the next the previous generations and some of my ancestors and recently I've been asking my mom to kind of convey exactly what you were saying you know tell me a story about this and then the other and so you know, this is kind of the funny thing when you're kids, you're like, oh, not this story again about how you used to trudge through the snow with no shoes and your bucket. And like, we've heard this a thousand times, but it's so joyful now to hear those things because it does bring you back down, literally, you know, down memory lane to be able to be a part of that history and really know what they went through and, and how different life has become nowadays when I compare it to, you know, obviously my, my more modern life. That's so wonderful to share in that. Thank you, Lisa. And Sarah, what about you? I think the biggest takeaway for me, what this all comes down to is that food really is the great unifier. You know, no matter where you are, where you're from, what you believe in, what you do, at the end of the day, everybody has to eat and everybody's got stories. Um, so we encourage everybody to share their stories. You know, we'd love for you to share them with us, but at least get talking with your family and friends about that uh, those shared food memories that you have, because hopefully you will find common ground. Um, I actually had a friend say to me a few weeks ago, um, he'd been following the blog and he said, I've related to every single one of your posts. And I know for a fact that he's never met anybody who I've been sharing memories from. So that was, that just meant the world. 
um, because that was like, yes, oh. mission accomplished already. And yeah. one of my favorite sayings that was coming to mind when I was kind of thinking this up was um, instead of building a higher fence, build a longer table. Um, and ultimately that's, that's what we're really trying to do here and build that online community, have that virtual potluck where there's no dishes to wash and there's always enough room for everybody. Um, so it's, it's been really exciting already to see the ways that people have been engaging and coming together. And we hope anybody who's listening will join us in that and share their story. There's always a place at the table. Exactly. That's so, so lovely. Um, Lisa, will you share with us where we can find you on social media, including your website, which of course, you know, like I said, I will include in the episode, but are you publicly available? And you know, what is the common name that you're using to kind of drive everybody in? Sure. So you can find us at foodmemoryproject.com. That's our website. And we'd love to have you see the stories that people people have been submitting to us. And then over on our social media page at, on Instagram, we're at we're at Food Mem Project. And our Facebook page is the Food Memory Project as well. What, so wonderful. But we would love to ha- invite people to submit their own memories. It's very easy to do. It's a very easy link to remember. It's just food memory project backslash my memory. Right. And there's a submission form there that they can fill out and submit to you. And then at that point, you, I would assume, do you get back in touch with them and tell them like, you know, we've received your information and what the next steps are. Absolutely. Lovely. Um, What is on your figurative and literal plate today? Are you working on anything after we part ways? Are you eating anything towards the end of this day? And uh, share with us a little bit about that, your your Mm -hmm. plate. So on my figurative plate, I did have a full day of work. Um, I do work full-time as a dietitian. And um, when I come home, you know, a lot of the time I am working on blog content. And honestly, yes, I'm working all the time. But this blog, like, it has kept me grounded over the last few weeks. Like, I'm excited to come home and to work on this um, and to create new content to share. Um, on my literal plate, I'm really excited because I have been trying to get back in the kitchen more lately. I love to cook. I love to bake. And that's my form of self-care is putting the effort in myself something really good. And I also try and use up what I have on hand. So over the weekend, I had some leftover time that I'd used from another recipe and I decided I was going to make a lemon cake and I add some time to it. So I've been eating on that and it's delicious. So that was Ina Garten's recipe. Oh, that sounds so good. Mm-hmm. I love the combination of like herbs and spices in those ways. I saw I think it was on one of your profiles about honey lavender being one of your favorite combinations. If I'm not, oh, I love that. That honey lavender, that's another food memory, actually. So I went to grad school in Knoxville, Tennessee, and there's a family-run dairy there called Cruise Farm. And every summer, so what Cruise Farm is best known for, you know, they are a full dairy, they do milk, but they're best known for their soft serve ice cream. And every summer, one of their seasonal flavors is lavender honey. And that was the first place I'd had that combination. And now it's like, anytime I see it, I have to get it. Right, does it compare? Do other people live up to the original, the OG? Flavor-wise, yes, but there's just that memory. And like Cruise Farm, like their whole brand is red and white gingham. Like it's just, it's iconic in Tennessee. (laughs) So there's definitely like, for atmosphere, I think Cruise Farm will always win. Hands down, hands down. And Lisa, what about you, your figurative and literal play? Anything going on after we, uh, you know, end our, our episode here? Yes. So my figurative play, um, I have worked all day. Uh, so I am a full-time blogger at this point. And so I've, I've pretty much completed my work day. So I am actually going to turn to my literal plate and have my dinner. <laughs> and, huh? and then I'm going to grab my book and I'm going to read. Oh, that's delightful. Is that one of your nightly routines too? You kind of wind down with a book or some something to, you know, 
drift you off to I'll sleep? I'll typically run down with a book or, you know, I'm, yeah. I confess, I might watch Netflix before I go to bed. For both of you, Sarah and Lisa, thank you so much for taking time and sharing your stories. You know, all of the stuff that's coming down is, is storytelling. And I'm just so happy to, to play a small role in leading in the direction of whatever happens next. I cannot wait to see where, where your future brings you. And I do hope we get to see you on the road, whether it's a road trip or a television show or what, however large your dreams can be. I'm so excited to see what the future holds for you. So thank you again, both of you for being on. Thank you so much, Dina. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me this week on the Dish with Dina podcast. I am Dina D'Alessandro, registered dietitian, nutritionist, founder, and chief executive life changer at Dish with Dina. And I'm also your host. If you like what you heard, I would be so grateful if you could subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and share this with others who you think might benefit from what we have to offer on these episodes. You can also join my mailing list at dishwithdina.com or email me at info at dishwithdina.com with questions, comments, feedback, and if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode because everybody eats and we all have a story to share. I hope you tune back in next week when we dish again.